Life's a Mitch. G'day, guys. Welcome back to episode 55 of Life's a Mitch podcast. So if you cast your minds back whoa, to episode 25, I, I had a chat with a, a gentleman by the name of Alan Stevens, and um, he, we spoke all things uh, the Campfire Project and, you know, being another guy from the Hunter Valley, him and I really hit it off, and uh, he's sort of become a little bit of a, a mentor. And he's allowed me to be involved in his project and interview people. And my next guest is, is uh, uh, Alan introduced my next guest and I via email. And I wanted to get him on because he has an interesting story. So my next guest is Mr. Kingsley Mortimer. How are you doing today, sir? Hi, Mitch. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Thanks That's for inviting okay. me. So, you know, I was talking to Alan before and he said that you've got um, an interesting story to share. So he said, you know, you're a musician, you're a, you're a pianist and you've, been playing on cruise ships for a time, is that correct? Yeah, I've been working for PO up until the um, epidemic of COVID hit and uh, all the ships were sent away. So how, how does, uh, well, for starters, what's the genesis of your music career? How did you get started playing the piano and how does one then go on to perform for, you know, potentially thousands of people like in international waters? <laughs> I think that's really cool. That's a really good question, Mitch. Um I was introduced to music by my grandfather, who was in the Navy band, of all things. So here I, uh, I ended up playing on ships myself, and, uh, and my grandfather was doing that, you know, back in the Second World War. And, and so he, um, he actually bought me a drum kit when I was about 18 months old. And yeah, right. legend has it within my family uh, that he had made a bet with his good friend in the Navy band, whoever had a grandson first had to buy them a drum kit. Um, and then there were other people that just thought he did it to annoy my mum. But um, <laughs> who knows? You know, that's the thing with legends. You can never really tell what the true story is. Yeah, that's true. You know, legend becomes myth and myth becomes fable. And then, you know, what's lost in time. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. So okay, so it's literally in your blood. So you know, I'm assuming you started to learn as a as a young toddler in primary school, and then you know, as you're going on learning the trade, how did you actually get to the point where it was become like a living for you, like a, a career for you? Oh, look, that that happened pretty just kind of by mistake, and and um, <laughs> mistake. <laughs> That's a good way to describe it. <laughs> I was, you know, obviously learning music, and and I had some scholarships, went to some good schools, and that type of thing happened. And um, before long, I was playing with my high school music teacher in his um, reception band. So we were working one or two, sometimes three nights a week, doing mainly weddings, and. Um, and, you know, around the Christmas and um, time and New Year, we're doing a, a lot more kind of corporate type of parties and things like that. And so um, what, um, you yeah, know, just have to excuse me. I'm, I'm in a share house and there's some people kind of wandering around the back and there'll be a dog that comes up occasionally and wants me to throw a ring to it as well. That's all good. It's just all, all that is, is a bonus content. That's all good. Yeah, great. All right. We'll keep it interesting. Um, so I lost my train of thought there. Um, ended up working with my high school music teacher and um, and really the rest was history. You know, once once I started playing professionally and getting paid for it, all my peers at high school were working at McDonald's and places like that, you know, earning, you know, $10 an hour. And, and I was out, you know, earning a few hundred dollars a night playing music, playing, doing something that I loved. So it was kind of like, I'm going to keep doing this for sure. Um, there was always the dream to become, you know, like a big rock star or something like that. And, um, and 
you know, I got to play with a lot of great touring acts and things like that, but I found myself more in the stream of being a hired gun and just being a, a professional musician, um, a, you know, a gun for hire. And, and I liked doing that because I was earning a living out of it. The, the big accolades and things like that never came. Um, then I um, was in a car accident a few year, years ago and I was hit by a car as a pedestrian oh, and um, it put me in hospital and I had three operations on my leg. Um, I'd always been playing drums, uh, you know, obviously because my grandfather gave me the drum kit, but there was piano there all along and I always loved piano and I was always very inspired by people like Billy Joel and Elton John as I was growing up. Um, they were the big pop stars of, of the time. So piano men were like the big pop stars of, of, of my childhood. And, um, and when I was recovering from the, um, the accident, I um, spent a lot more time behind the piano and started to learn some of those songs. And, and before I knew it, I have a re had, a, had a repertoire. I'd always sung backing vocals as a drummer. You could definitely get way more gigs as a drummer when you, when you got the backing vocals as well. And um, one less mouth to feed in a band, you know, like it can cover two bases. And, um, <laughs> and so I started doing more, you know, like uh, solo singing while I was playing the piano. And a few people suggested, hey, why don't you um, go out and do some gigs like that? And so um, I had enough repertoire and I thought, yeah, go for it. I also went on a cruise ship um, as part of my recovery, you know, like um, the insurance company gave me a bit of a, a, a um, you know, like an upfront payment and, you know, like I just thought, go and spend it on a cruise, you know. And I met nice. the piano bar people on the cruises and um, a couple of them um, encouraged me, uh, a guy called Kylie, uh, a, a girl called Kylie and, um, and another guy as well that I met on another cruise. They both encouraged me to apply for jobs on cruise ships. And, you know, with, within about a year or 18 months of, of playing with a few different um, agencies, I, I got myself a contract and started working on cruise ships. So these things just kind of eventuated just, you know, like by um, just being in the right place at the right time. That's awesome. Oh, mate, I, I love hearing stories like that. People following their passions and not only are able to make it work, but truly enjoy it as well. I could see your face light up as you were telling that story. Then that's fantastic. And whilst, whilst you were sort of touring or, you know, cast your mind back across your entire music career, is there a gig or a venue that you vibed with? And if so, uh, what's a cool story that goes with that? Wow. Um, look, when, when I was about, um, it was a really interesting time. I was, at, I, was, I was about 20 and I was at the Victorian College of the Arts studying, um, a, 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 you know, like um, undergraduate music um, school. And um, I got, I was working with a guy called Broderick Smith, who was, who was a bit of a, an Aussie icon type of legend. Um, and um, earlier on in, in his career, um, he, he was in his 50s or something. So he's about my age now when I was working with him when I was 20. And I, I um, got to go out on tour with him. And we ended up, um, after, one of our tours that we did was supporting Joe Cocker. And um, Oh, whoa, that's it, a big name. Yeah, yeah, so I dropped that one. And um <laughs> And so we, we toured around Australia with Joe Cocker and um, 
the I got got to meet the band, and you know, the actually on when you're the support act on a, on a big tour like that, you always try and get a, a a gig wherever you are in whatever town, Sydney, Melbourne, Adelaide. You know, um, the management will usually get an, another gig after the show, so you do the show at like really early. Um, as a support act at about eight o'clock and then you go out and you know at about 10 o'clock you do a, a full you know two or three sets at a, at a club um, and so um, a few times the guys from Joe Cocker's band would show up after their show and um, and one particular night they all got to play with us and and um, and it was like a really big highlight of my career. You know, these were legendary performers who were, who were playing with Joe Cocker, like Chris Denton. And uh, I mean, some, you know, like Doug Wimbish, there were some, some great musicians. A lot of those musicians also played in um, Tina Turner's band as well. So yeah, they'd cool. go out on tour for six months with Joe Cocker or nine months and then turn around and go out and do another world tour with Tina Turner and then go back and forth between that. And they did that for like 15 years, like for their whole career. Um, and, um, and the drummer, you know, Bruno, he, um, I got along with him really well as I, uh, and um, there was one particular night, this, I, I, I get down to the, the crux of the story where I would pass Joe Cocker in the hallway um, you know, backstage, and he said cheers to me. And so I, I told the drummer, oh, Joe Cocker said cheers. And he said, that's more than what he said to me on the whole nine-month tour. I've not heard a word from him. <laughs> so I got more from Joe Cocker. I got more conversation with Joe Cocker than some of the members of his own band. So how's that, hey? There's a bit of a bit of bragging rights right there. I guess old <laughs> mate, it was Tina turning around himself for later on. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so... So you're okay. Sounds like an incredible career so far. And I was curious, uh, since Alan was the one who put us in touch, I was, I was going to ask, uh, how did you and Alan originally meet? And uh, you know, what's the story or how you guys sort of got involved? So Alan and I met through the safe men project. Um, I can't actually recall who, who connected us, but um, I found out about his um, campfire project. And um, so pretty early on, I, I realized that Alan was a great connection. And also, you know, as, as his, his day job being a, a personality profile, uh, that really interested me as well, because, um, uh, you know, archetypal characters and things like that within the entertainment industry are, are very much understood. And, um, and people uh, have a people within entertainment have a really um, great awareness of, of what archetypal characters are, um, which, which is based on mythology and things like that. So um, what, what I was really interested with Alan is I, I just invited him to be part of a steering committee because I thought this guy's got some great skills and, and abilities and he'll, you know, fit well. Um, and um, with the other people that were on the steering committee for safe men, so um, over, over the three months since we've got the Safe Men project up and going, he's been a really great part in connecting me with other people as well. And, um, and then, you know, putting, um, being a part of the consensus of the steering committee to um, give Safe Men a really good and strong connection, um, connection with other people and direction. Yep. So Alan 
and I, as I said, met on a podcast. There's a website called matchmaker.fm. It sounds like a dating app, but it's not. And um, I asked him on as a guest and he sort of was telling, because I saw he's from Newcastle. I'm like, oh, this could work. So we start chatting and turned out an interesting story to share and then tell me about the Campfire Project. And then I've done interviews with people he's introduced me to, like uh, Kim Dunlop, um, Thomas, um, a few others that I can't don't come to mind at the moment. But um, it's, he's a very lovely guy and very sort of generous with his time. And I um, yeah, I, I can't think highly enough of Alan. He's, he's a really good guy and like very selfless. And so, you know, if you're listening to this, Alan, you know, good on you, mate. You know, you're getting getting lots of compliments out of me. Your head must be huge right now. But um, no, keep doing what you're doing. So next question is, what's the genesis of the Safe Men Project? And how did you come to be involved in and what it's all about as well, more importantly? Okay, so I'm the founder of Safe Men. Our catchphrase is safe men, safe families and safe communities. It began about November last year where I first started coming up with the idea of, of a way for me to give back to community. And uh, because I, I, you know, being involved in the, the music industry, there's, there's a lot of vices and things like that that go out. On. And I've been able to be transformed from addiction, um, drug addiction and alcohol, and, um, and also a lot of really unruly behavior that goes on with, with all of that in the music industry as well. Um, a lot of that behavior tends to be kind of like socially acceptable when you're kind of a, a bit of a star, you know, a bit of an entertainer. And um, and so I realized there was a better life and, and that I could, over, you know, I was blessed enough to have the opportunity to be, um, you know, meet the right people to be able to really help me through a lot of that stuff. Um, look, honestly, a, a lot of a lot of my peers and a lot of my friends have suicided or passed away, you know, very early on in life, um, so, way yeah. too young because of that kind of lifestyle, and um, and so for me, it's it was a way of giving back. Originally, it wasn't. Safe Men was going to be more about a whole gamut of different things. Um, and, but as, as I started developing um, the, the, the brand, you could call it, I started to realise, well, we need to focus on something, you know, that all the marketing people, it's, it's, it's all about, you know, like focusing on something more specific. So we looked at domestic violence, which is a really huge issue. You know, like there's, there's way too many. One, one is too many women being murdered by their their husbands you know and and but it's not just one in australia you know we're, we're talking about over 50 every year and um and so i you know we realized that this was the the, the good place to focus what safe men is about and it's not just about men you know obviously there's a whole lot of gender issues involved in society today and um but predominantly it's in, in a going back to that mythological um, archetypal stuff um, within a tribal society, traditionally, the men's job was to protect the women and the children, the more vulnerable members of society or of their community in a tribe. And, um, and today it seems to be that predominantly it's the men who are causing the violence and the trauma um, for, around um, women and children so there's this kind of dichotomy uh, this this 
terrible, tragic irony that's happening where the role of the, of the male within society has gone from protecting to actually abusing. And so I, I thought, you know, let's open up a conversation about that. So we're in the really early days of creating a public awareness campaign um, safe men, safe families, safe communities, and going out into media. Um, and this is like one of the first ones that, that I've done. At, um, and we want to go into mainstream media eventually. And um, so we've got, we've got a, a strategy to build up a, a presence on social media and get some organic following that way. And that way, get the, the media's attention and then start going into mainstream media, bring on board what we call ambassadors, and, um, and have ambassadors going out into the mainstream media, high profile people to be able to put this um, public awareness campaign to the greater community in Australia. Um, we, we need to ask these questions. First of all, uh, do people even want a, a safer society? Oh, sure that, people do, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you just, you can't assume these things. Because you see, there's, there's a lot of people who um, are not, not even aware of their behaviours. And I certainly wasn't when I was acting out in addiction um, and, you know, like um, intimidating, violent type of behaviour. Um, you know, when you're, not, when you're not getting your fix, it's kind of like that becomes socially acceptable too. I didn't realise that there was a problem. You know, if I was getting intimidating and angry and violent because I didn't have, get, you know, the gear that I needed to get into me each day. Yep. You know? um, and so, look, that's a pretty extreme, extreme case, but people are doing that with a lot of things, whether it's, you know, like not getting their coffee in the morning, stay away from me, you know, <laughs> until I have my first coffee. It's like, well, where do you draw the line of what, what's a violent and, and intimidating family life if, if that's happening in the morning? So for some men, um, they might, you know, like, have a, a line in the sand that, that if I raise my voice to my children, oh, I've really crossed that line. And other men, they can murder their wives and be fine with it. I so am. we're asking those questions to, to society and community in Australia. Where is that line? Where do we place it? And what can we do for men particularly who want to make a transformation in that kind of behaviour? I um I agree with you 110 percent and I'm actually familiar with this with this um sort of I guess you call it uh, campaign that you're trying to to kick off and you know so I've spoken to people over the world male health experts one by the name of Jack Cameron US for example and you know it, it all comes down to so the the way the brain's wired is there's there's two forms of brain there's the old brain which is what you refer to as the foraging protecting survival instinct. And then the new brain, the new like awareness campaign that you that you uh, you spoke about is, it's 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 learning about how to challenge those thought processes. You go, what's acceptable, what's not? Okay, hang on a second. For example, if you have a conflict with someone, the old brain's like, oh, you know, oh, it's a pessimistic thought approach. Oh, you know, does this person oh, hate me? Have I done something to upset them? But what counselors, what people like yourself, what you know, Alan is trying to do as well is create this new way of thinking to go, okay, hang on a second. What evidence is there to support this? Has the person actually said to me that they hate me? No. Or is it just in my head? Perhaps it is. And maybe I'll go and ask the person and to, to try and find evidence of it being one or the other. So the idea is 
to get people talking just like this. And, you know, you go, what's acceptable, what's not? This is something that's really close to my heart as well. And uh, like men's mental health, especially, I'm an advocate for it 110%. And I hate to see people potentially get to the point where it could be a domestic violence case or even worse. Now, mm. I've had my, my stepsister on uh, like probably a few episodes before Alan, she was the victim of said uh, domestic violence. And from her perspective, it was scary. It was like, she said that she felt, you know, physically, emotionally, mentally trapped and scarred. And she felt like she couldn't, you know, make a decision herself without upsetting the man in her life at the time. And, you know, we never want that, you know, of course, no, no one wants to go home scared. Like it's supposed to be the place you're safe. You know, it's, it's, and if a relation, a partner is supposed to back you up, not not make you feel like absolute garbage. And whether it's if it's uh, addiction, whether it's you know an an anxious thought process, stress, whatever it is, the old brain also states that men stereotypically aren't good communicators. So campaigns like this are fantastic to to try and normalise the stigma. Men should communicate because we talk about things like equality. And the feminist movement from the 1960s, you know, women still are behind in many ways, but what they've successfully been able to do over the course of 60, 70 years or whatever long it's been is they communicate, they tell us what they need and that's what they fight for. Now, men need to do the same in my opinion, you know, if it's something that we need, you know, if men need more places to go where we can get mental health, uh, you know, mental health and well-being assistance then we can go there places like black dog institute or you know campaigns like kingsley's trying to run guys i can't stress enough especially men i know all all genders we all have issues of course but i can only speak from the perspective of a man because i am one myself but you know please reach out to people like kingsley and and get involved because it's it's something that is extremely important to do be proactive instead of reactive if you're frustrated find a way to like talk about it and get it off your chest. I promise you it's much better than subconsciously lashing out at someone, even if it's a snide little comment, calling someone an F and C or, you know, what, and causing a drift. And that then over time gets worse and worse and worse. And then before you know it, you're potentially in a DV scenario. So please speak up. Sorry, Kingsley. That's something that I'm passionate about. Yeah. Look, there's two things that safe men wants, wants to, um, you know, achieve and, and that is more people involved in the cause as a public awareness campaign. So anyone who's interested in finding out more, you can get in contact with me and how you can help. And also for anyone who needs help, that's what we're here for. We're here to connect people with programs. And, and so far we've partnered with three really great programs. And, um, and these, these are programs that, that help people from profession designed by professional um, people um, and they help particularly men um, create you know that conversation to be able to speak about their emotions because um, you know like uh, you know start people started talking about emotional IQ quite a few years ago and um, and this is really relevant to this topic if, if we're not expressing our emotions with you know like civilized verbal communicative skills um, then we're going to do it from a base place you know like the old brain like you're saying where where we just become like dogs in a in a park you know like um, fighting over a bone and um, and we're cap- we're very capable of, of 
doing that and not considering that it's abnormal at all. Um, you know, like we, we live in we live in a world where there's still war. People fight over land like dogs with a bone. Um, and we've just created more complex and, you know, kind of creative, very creative ways of, of killing each other. Um, and, and that's not okay. You know, I really don't think that's okay. I don't think we're going to survive as a species if we keep doing that, you know. And, and it doesn't have to be everybody who agrees with me on this, you know. There's only has to be a few of us. Like going back to mythology again, there's in all the great stories of, of um, overcoming and triumph and victory. It's only just a handful of fellowship of people that go on this journey and return back to the community with a boon, and um, and that boon is, you know, like this awareness that um, and this awareness of, of the journey that's been undertaken, but also a, um, you know, not that not that I'm a savior for society. I'm certainly not that. But, you know, it, it actually actually saves society without the whole society having to go on the journey. So you get what I mean by that. So if you're interested in going on that journey, there are so many great programs and um, and very skilled people who can help you on that journey to be transformed. And as you personally become transformed, your family around you will be transformed and your community be, will be transformed. That's why we use the catchphrase, safe men, safe families, safe communities. And then from community, society becomes a safer place. So we're... we're creating the possibility for a safer society absolutely and i i um it, it warms my heart to know that there are you know that, that this the great initiative exists because you know as you said if you can have all it takes is someone to go oh shit you know that's that's uh that you know you have that crystallized moment like, oh okay so this is exactly what it was it's about educating as well and once people gain that knowledge base and they go okay well this was actually easier than I thought, you know, to, to take those steps and to try and prevent something evil down later on. I like it. Like, it's really like, so I will include the correct spelling and um, links in the bio uh, afterwards, but for where, where can people like go to get involved? Is it like a Facebook page? Is it a, a website or? Probably the best place to direct you right now is a website, which is still under construction. Um, but there are, you know, like we've, we've got all the, um, the information that, that like the banner information is there with our logo and our contact details and, and those kind of things. And also um, as we go live with that website, we're going to have all the social media, um, you know, like logos and things like that um, as most websites do. That's cool. Okay, so you know, everyone, please get involved. The correct spelling will be included underneath, and uh, I'll be checking it out. So we might change it up for a little bit, Kingsley. So each each podcast has two sections: great storytelling, which you've been very generous today, and this next part, which it, it's a bit of fun. I like to get the the guests to come on and have a good old whinge wine sook. And I was wondering if you like to have a bitchy with Mitchy this week. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to this bitchy with Mitchy. <laughs> So, you know, the idea is get something off your chest, make it makes us feel good about everything. Uh, have you got something in mind or would you like me to go first? Or I do. I want to have a bitch about 
some of our high profile leaders who use intimidation and literally go red in the face during question time in, in political forums. And these are the people who are, who are supposed to be our leaders and supposed to be modeling good behavior to society. That's where I want to bitch. Okay, let's hear it. Okay. So, you know, we, we live in a democracy and, and one of, look, it's not just about our leaders who are just behaving badly and so often they behave badly and, and look, everyone knows what behavior I'm talking about, but it's also that we um, are part of that. So we're all connected and I'm really bitching about a lot of society that still uses this us and them type of that stuff, you know, like that, that our leaders are somehow them and we're us. But hey, we're connected. We voted them in. We have we live in a democratic society, and we continue to vote these type of people in. So uh, I'm, let's go like a little bit back to my story again about safe men. It's like yeah. So how how do we even ask the question? Is you know do we want a safe society when so many of our leaders are demonstrating, still demonstrating that kind of. Um, I think there's a psychological name for it, sociopath. That's what they call it. <laughs> and, and that we keep electing these sociopaths into positions of power. And it doesn't just happen in politics too. It happens in the corporate world. Apparently, more, there are more sociopaths as CEOs than not. You know? like that, that means, yeah, it is scary. And so bullies at work and things like that, you know, originally safe men wanted to look at the whole gamut of, of everything from bullies, but we're focusing on, on domestic violence. But bullying is, is you know, I'm, I'm just like, I'm, I'm bitching about that today, Mitch. You know, I, I'm sick and tired of, of um, people in places of authority using that authority to be intimidating because they're just not even awake to that they're even doing that and that they, they have this way of just damaging you know like other people and and thinking that that's like the, that psychopathic side that they get a kick out of it i'm sick and tired of that well this is exactly what this section is for it's to to put it out in the cosmos and to feel better at the end <laughs> but you're exactly right though i mean you know how many people do you know or have you heard of in the media that have used their you know their, their, their resources to try and get ahead you know how many times do you hear of a businessman trying to pay off a politician or to make uh, donations to a specific party or whatever it might be you know like political you know everyone trying to get political gain or you know there's there's been touts of corruption all through humanity because these people think that they are bigger than what they are you know like they think they're ben-hur but in reality they're just a person with with more stuff in their wallet who cares we all, we all, uh, at the end of the day, we all bleed. We all have a time here on this earth. And, you know, I don't see the, I don't like people that have this superior inferiority complex. Like what I mean by that is like people that think they're better than you because they have more assets than you might do. Not you specifically, but in general is what I mean. Yeah. So I agree with 100%. Bigger ego, small self-esteem. Yeah. And yeah. which is, you know, Okay, so uh, I um yeah. I've been working. I've opened in, a can of worms, haven't I? <laughs> so you, actually, you just reminded me of a story that I um went through 
recently uh, in my work, or I'm, I've finished up there now and starting a new workplace, but I've never mentioned where I work or who I worked for. So that's going to stay the same. But what happened was uh, one of the, one of the, cause I'm in the mines and one of the other operators was getting sort of, you know, a little niggles here and there in the crib, a little passive comment. He's a bigger guy. And uh, you know, you cop in little like little comments in the crib, like, oh, how you going? You know, they used to call him the round man to sand because he's four foot high and four foot round is what they'd say. And if you're okay with having a joke like that, fantastic. But you know, you could see he was putting on a brave face. And I'm like, mate, are you okay? He goes, Oh no, I I'm sick of it. Okay. Well, and okay, so what they say, first stage of conflict resolution is if you can find the person or people who are upsetting you, just tell them, hey mate, look, I'm 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 not okay with it struggling but at the same time that can be more detrimental to your own mental health than in general so a lot of big companies have anonymous bullying hotlines you can call now he's like well i kind of feel gutless doing that maybe if i just go to the supervisor and just let him know that i'm okay fair enough so we chats about it and i said look do you want me to go with you to these people first he's like no no it'll be it'll 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 be like like a, a schoolyard they'll start rumoring and chatting and so, like, not only is he affecting him here, it starts to get worse and worse for him. So he goes up to the, to the, to the foreman. Hey, I'll just let you know I'm struggling mentally with this, but bang, bang, bang. Foreman's like, okay, who is it? It's just so I can talk to him. He's like, oh, I don't want to dob him in. Can't you do, like, a startup thing? So, mate, well, well, I'll try it, but if it continues on, then you'll have to tell me. Like, that's how it works. Does a presentation the following morning. Bullying will not be tolerated in the workplace, et cetera, et cetera. And in a crib, but they're even worse. Did you say something to the foreman? No, why? And then just they injure him. And I'm like, I'm, you know what? I'm, I've had a gut full of this. I just got out of my chair. I said, mate, cut the shit. You don't know him that well. Stop calling him names. Like, enough's enough. Well, what's it to you? I said, the whole crib, but can hear you. You're, I called him an F-wit because he was. And I said, all you're doing is just proving how small your penis is. And how big your ego is like, mate, because we also copped a lot of criticism because the contractors versus permanence at the pit, it's an us and them mentality. And that like, you know, contractors don't earn as much money and it's like a, oh, you know, I, I bought this. It's, it's, it's stupid. It's a pissing contest. And I was like, you know what, mate, enough's enough. Cut the shit. And then this permanent guy who I challenged, or I'll see you in the car park. And I said, mate, you're a child. Like that's what schoolyard bullies do. I said, well, if it's going to come to that, just remember that you have much more to lose than I do with your big mining contract. And I'll just sit here. I said, mate, I'm only single. I don't have a family in that to support. So you got to worry about it. Like what's going to happen when you lose your job and when, you know, you just put a few truths on him. And then there was no way to deal with it. Like I, in, in turn, was acting on aggression. I should never have done that. And I guess what I'm trying to say is that the best thing to do is to communicate proactive not reactive like i did like this thing sorted itself out eventually like we all apologize and shook hands but it just got into a toxic thing so i exactly i agree with you i hate bullies does that sort of make sense that i tangent on a bit much there's just too many stories like what you just told and um and you know like part of the reason why he thinks he can get away with that do, do you know whether he had a family yeah yeah he's married and has uh three four kids or something and yeah well I, I don't want to think what would happen at home if he's yeah. acting like that at work. Um, 
Well, you know, like because that that kind of intimidating um, power kind of like game gets played and and modelled by, um, you know, people higher up the chain, um, he thinks it's okay. So, you know, there you go. There's that thing where a lot of people aren't aren't gone, don't even have a motive to want to, you know, transform. You know, like, I'm all right. I'm fine. Uh, you know, like I've got my contract, I've got my, my mining contract and, and that type of thing um, is really common, you know, like, um, yeah, I mean, I, w- I want to have a bitch about it too, you know, I want to have a bitch that that happens and, um, and you know, but I don't have to feel hopeless about it because, you know, like today uh, I can be, I can have compassion for a person like that. I can have a compassion for their family. I can have compassion for their workplace and um, compassion is, is like love in action, you know? And so that, that motivates me to do things like safe men, you know, for those people who do want to do something about it, for those people who have a, a moment of clarity, you know, like, and, and this guy too, you know, he might have a, he, we, we don't know how many years ago was this, that this happened. I was only in the last 12 months, 12 months. Okay. So, you know, like, we're 12 months down the track, right? Who knows what's happened in his family, whether he's still got a family, whether he's been divorced, whether his wife has, you know, left him or, or, or whatever. And he's going through a moment where he might be having this moment of clarity where it's kind of like, shit, what do I do about this? I'm an asshole, you know? How, how can I change? Because, because I even know what happens usually in the psychological, you know, um, journey uh, that, that we go on is that we still keep doing these things. And I, cause I, I can only speak from experience with my own addictions and, and behavioral addictions as well. Um, and, and emotional addictions is that you still keep, you become aware of it, but you still keep doing it. And that's kind of like worse than, you know, acting out badly and harmfully and not being aware of it because now I'm aware of it, but I still keep doing it. Uh, and, and then you get to the point where you start to, you know, get some help ask for help which is what safe men's there to do to help connect people with these great programs that are around and then start to developing some tools you know so look not everyone's going to want want to to get those tools and not everyone will have moments of in in you know like enlightenment and and um moment of clarity especially the higher and higher up somebody gets in society you know into those really great positions of power um where you know like they've got yes men all around them and and it's kind of like (laughs) it's not just i've got a mining track contract and i'm all right jack you know it's no no longer that it's like uh, i i am the top person in australia you know Mm, and you know you can't i don't have a problem i'm good because this is where i am you know like um so you know it kind of like it's this self-fulfilling kind of like um tragedy you know that's where my compassion comes from for 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 people like that um you know we've just we've just seen a a a season a whole episode of you know one of the most powerful people in on the planet you know again i'm not going to name names one of the most powerful people on the planet in one of the most powerful countries on the planet who has absolutely no um idea that he's uh, just a complete madman, you know, <laughs> and and everyone everyone else knows it except for him because yeah. he's good. He's the president, you know. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I 
I um so what I took out of this was I I looked at I look at the way I acted and like well I'm well, I'm generally cool calm and collective but I just don't like bullies and I I looked at I forgot to, to see people for what they are. If you look at someone using the metaphor, using like an iceberg, on the surface, you can see 5% of the true makeup. Under the surface, you don't know what's going on, you know, mm. unless people talk about it. And it turns out this guy had a lot of stuff on his mind and him and I are mates again, but, you know, he he then went to start to get counselling and then come up with an expression that I was unfamiliar with. And he said, it turns out I've got poor impulse control. Okay. Mm. I said, oh, shit, I've never really thought about that. And he's like, well, it turns out that, you know, I can I compartmentalize things. And then when I don't, I was impressed to use the word compartmentalize. So clearly the training was working. And um, he's like, well, I don't express you know, myself enough. So what I do now is if I'm feeling frustrated, I'll do what I love. I'll go to the gym and take it in a boxing bag or I'll write stuff down. Writing stuff yeah. down is incredibly important. Typing it out, whatever. Write a book. Yeah. You don't have to release it, but I tell you, it's great stress relief. And yeah. um, to, that's a message to anyone out there who's struggling. But, you know, if you look at people like icebergs, you know, you don't know what people are going through. So just treat everyone kind. Not, mm. And if, you're, if you are a boss or a position in power, don't demand, ask. Hey, would you mind doing that as opposed to, I need that on my desk at, at five o'clock, whatever it might be. Um, it's important. Now, my bitch is, well, I pretty much, it's the same. I've already had my bitch. It's, it's bullies. It's, it's people that unnecessarily act in acts of aggression where that things could unnecessary conflict could be avoided with just sitting down and chatting about it. You know, Mm. places like Kingsley's uh, uh, safe men project, places like the campfire project, you know, it's important to have, great communication communication is a two-way street it's it's voicing what's troubling you or voicing your thoughts and then actively listening as well it's all about collaboration so you know that's what i think is important to take out of today's podcast is get involved get in contact with kingsley and you know and the project and i'll leave the links down below and if you are finding yourself worked up then use these resources because i guarantee you you know it's the right thing to do and it will potentially save a big conflict down the track, if that makes sense. Sorry, I tangent it on again a bit today. No, that's great. So, um, you know, I might wrap things up there shortly, but is there anything else that you want to close out on? Or Oh, it's great. I think we're right on the same page, Mitch, you and I, and, uh, and anyone who comes along and, and listens to this podcast uh, will be on the same page as well. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming along today. I really appreciate your time. And uh, that's episode 55, guys. I hope you all enjoyed it. And as always, feel free to get in contact with the show. But until next time, I'll catch us in the next one. Bye for now. Awesome.